My name is Josie and I'm from Fort Pierce, South Dakota and I'd just like to tell you a little bit about Father Jim here. He is um, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that's where he was born and raised and he entered into the Jesuit community in 1971 and he was ordained in 1983 and he served as the vice, he served as the vocations director and the director of formation for the Jesuits in Upper Midwest. He has appeared on EWTN TV. He has written two books, A Heart on Fire, Rediscovering Devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and A Year of Daily Offerings. He now, since July, has come here to South Dakota, and he is the director of the St. Francis Missions on the Rosebud Reservation. This is not my first time in South Dakota. When I was a Jesuit scholastic, which is part of the, the title of somebody who's in formation, who's in between my philosophy studies and theology studies, before I was ordained, I was three years uh, at Red Cloud Indian School teaching, uh, prefecting a dormitory. It was the last three years that we had the boarding school there. And um, also driving a school bus. So uh, it was quite an experience for those three years. And then from 1989 to 1995, I was at the Sioux Spiritual Center. And so I worked with the deacon and lay ministry formation program for the Diocese of Rapid City back when uh, now Archbishop Chaput was there. I know people often <coughs> confuse his name. They want to call him Chaput or something. And he always told me, it's Chaput. It rhymes with slap you. <laughs> that was how I remember it. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm glad to be back now. For the last 14 years, I was the national director of the Apostleship of Prayer, which promotes prayer for the Holy Father's monthly prayer intentions, and it also promotes the daily offering prayer and devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. We've got one spot in here. One spot? I'm yeah. a man. <laughs> so our our topic is um, about praying and not just saying prayers. Um, I'm sure all of us, when we first learned to pray, was maybe at our mother or father's side. I remember kneeling next to the bed in the morning and saying prayers. It was basically, you know, praying for mommy and daddy and some relatives or people who needed help, and then praying in our Father. And and that's good, you know, that's where we learn to pray. But ultimately we have to go deeper in our prayer lives. And this is something that St. John Paul II made very clear at the turn of the millennium. We had that holy year, millennium jubilee year of 2000. And in 2001, he wrote an apostolic letter to the church in which he said that we don't need another program. He says the program is the gospel. And at the heart of the gospel is a person. And so it's all about developing that personal relationship with, with Jesus. When I say that, I always think of, has anyone ever come to you, one of our evangelical brothers or sisters, and said, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? And you know what you say? You say, well, of course. And I receive him in the Holy Eucharist every Sunday or every day. You can't get more personal than to be one with him, his body and our body, right? So we Catholics have a great opportunity to have that intimate relationship with Jesus. So St. John Paul, in that letter, talked about parishes and communities being schools of prayer. And he said where we learn not just to ask. You know, one of the first words that I think children learn, you know, the child is grabbing for something, right? And what does the parent say? What do you say? Please. Please. Okay. 
And then St. John Paul says, so we pray not only by asking, but then by, what's the next word we learn? Right. And now what do you say? Thank you. So praise, thanksgiving, and then he goes on and talks about adoration, contemplation, and then he says, until the heart truly falls in love. That's what we're talking about, is a love relationship. And that requires communication. Talking, but also listening. Communication. So sometimes, you know, if, if you think about it, saying prayers, where we're reading a prayer, but our mind is somewhere else, that's like meeting someone you really love and saying, let's sit down and talk. And then you start reading the newspaper to them. You know, communication is not going on. So, St. John Paul said, prayer is about falling in love. And then he goes on to say this, it would be wrong to think that we can be satisfied with a superficial relationship or prayer life that doesn't fill our whole life. In other words, we can't just say, well, I pray, I've got my half hour a day, or I go to Mass on Sunday. It has to really inform our whole life because it's about a relationship. You know, those of you who are married know that it, your marriage, your relationship is, is more than the time you spend together. If you're working somewhere, you're working for your family. You're doing that for your family. So it fills your whole life. You're not just married when you're at home or you know with your spouse in a restaurant or something. It's your whole life. And St. John Paul said that if we do not go deeper than, let's say, a superficial relationship, he said, it's not going to be a matter of being mediocre Christians, lukewarm Christians. He says it's going to be a matter of being Christians at risk. At risk of what? Losing our faith, losing our way through life. Think about that. You know, first of all, life itself has so many challenges to it. Challenges to our faith. I, I, I can't help thinking, I, I mentioned this this morning, but um, did any of you ever know Father Will Prospero? Okay, Peg did. Father Will Prospero was a Jesuit priest who worked at Red Cloud and the Sioux Spiritual Center. I was his vocation director and his spiritual director over the years. He died a few years ago at the age of 49. He had cancer. He was a spiritual director at St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and became ill, came to Milwaukee, lasted a year. And we all prayed and prayed and prayed, but he died. Things like that we all encounter, where we wonder, God, where are you? Well, life itself has enough problems that test our faith. But then we live in a world that has so many things that pull us away from God and away from our faith. So St. John Paul said, we got to go deeper, sink our roots deeper, have a closer relationship with Jesus, because if we don't, we're at risk. So this talk is about how we can do that with some practical suggestions. Let me begin by saying, I think vocal prayers, the prayers we learn or read or memorize, they are important to us. But we have to put our mind and heart into our prayer with them. So something I suggest to people is if you have favorite prayers, make your own prayer book. I learned about this some years ago. I was giving a retreat in Minnesota, and there was a man on retreat who shared with me what he does. He takes one of those photo albums where you have clear, and he puts his favorite prayers in the photo album, pictures maybe. You can make your own prayer book of your favorite prayers 
But again, the idea is what makes them your favorite prayer? Because they speak to you. They're words that somebody else wrote, but they're words that you like to use yourself. The other thing that I like to do is I have um, Magnificat. I like to get the Magnificat magazine and have this nice little cover for it that a group of contemplative sisters in Illinois, they make these. But in the back of my Magnificat, I have two prayers that I like to pray after communion. And one of them is a prayer by St. Pio, Padre Pio, called Stay With Me. Maybe you're familiar with that. And the other is by St. Bonaventure called An Act of Love. And so I like to pray those after communion. They express what is in my heart. At the same time, I know that sometimes when I'm praying those prayers, my mind is on something else. And so part of going deeper in our prayer, praying and not just saying prayers, is, okay, when you catch yourselves spacing out, thinking about other things, just quietly go back. You know, you don't have to go back to the prayer that you just said. Uh, if you do that, you might be there for an hour. Uh, but just say, from this point forward, I'm going to keep my attention. I'm going to try to really pay attention here. So those are a couple little ideas. And the church, you know, encourages um, written prayers. Uh, this morning we had part of, uh, we had morning prayer from the breviary. Uh, the Psalms express what could be in a person's heart. So the scriptures in that way. But again, the key is putting our minds and hearts into it. Now, one temptation that can arise, and this St. Ignatius Loyola, founder of the Jesuits, uh, he brings this up in his Rules for Discernment. He says, if you have a, a really good person who's trying to live a good life, follow the commandments, receives the sacraments regularly, how is the evil spirit going to tempt them? Well, he says, usually it's under the guise of good. And so there'll be this little voice that'll say, well, if you really loved God, you would say these prayers, you would add these prayers, you would say so many novenas. And so the temptation is to add on prayers where you get to the point where it just becomes a burden and you give it up. And that's what the evil spirit wants you to do, is to give up praying. So what's important is not so much the quantity, but the quality, right? So you don't have to, if you, know, if you feel yourself beginning to get a little agitated because you've been adding all kinds of prayers to your prayer life, realize that's not what the Holy Spirit is inspiring you to do. A lot of times people will ask me, Father, would you pray for me? And I like what Padre Pio uh, does with, or did with this. Um, he had a little novena called the Novena to the Sacred Heart. And he would pray that prayer for all the people who asked him to pray for them. Something else you could do is to take your prayer book and Put the names of all the people that have asked you to pray. Now, somebody asks you to pray, add them to your prayer list. And you don't have to go through and, you know, every day say the names. I just hold it up and say, Lord, you know who's in here. Please help these people. So it's another way that, that we can use intercessory prayer in kind of an, an intentional way. Then... Another way of praying with other people's words is music. I like the contemporary Christian music, praise and worship music. And one of the blessings of being back here in South Dakota is I have lots of time to listen as I drive. <laughs> okay? And so I was so excited. I've got a whole slew of CDs, and I carry them with me. I haven't gotten to the iPods yet where you can download your favorites. It's too much technology for me. But the CD, I pop in there, and as I'm driving along, it inspires me. I sing along. I praise the Lord. That, too, is part of, I think, taking vocal prayer and praying. 
praying with somebody else's words. What is the greatest prayer? Yeah, you know, this morning somebody else said, Our Father. That's the prayer Jesus taught us, but it's not the greatest prayer of the church. The Mass, the Holy Eucharist. Second Vatican Council said it's the source and summit of the Christian life. So it's our nourishment. It's what keeps us united with the body of Christ, one with him. And it's our the summit. It's our goal. You know, we're made for union with God, and it begins right here on earth. The closest thing to heaven is right there at Mass, the celebration of the Eucharist. But do we experience it that way? You know, it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? To forget about what we're doing. Has anyone ever said to you, I don't get anything out of the mass? Have you ever heard that? And, and you kind of wonder, what, what do you want to get? Well, we live in such an entertainment-driven world that it seems people come to Mass expecting to be entertained. I've often wondered what it would be like for Jesus to return and to take a little survey in our parishes. So let's say he, he's over here. These people are not happy with their, with their church. And I have to, Jesus says, well, how was Mass today? And they say, oh, it was really bad. <laughs> the music was awful. The choir was off-key. They, they dragged the song. We had all these songs we didn't know. And you know, Father went on and on and on. And he kept saying the same thing over and over again. You know, we didn't get out of there for an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> and there was no sense of community. Everyone was just kind of scattered around the church. So Jesus hears this. Then he goes over here. He says, how is Mass? These people are happy. <laughs> oh, Mass was wonderful. You know, the music was great. We raised the roof of the church. Everybody was together. We sang with gusto, and everyone was on the same page. And Father gave this great homily. It was short, to the point. <laughs> he told a nice joke that I'm going to remember. You know, we were out of there in an hour. And I had such a nice sense of community. We held hands at the Our Father, and I felt so close to everybody. So Jesus hears this. Now, what do you think Jesus is thinking, hearing both these? I imagine Jesus saying, but what about me? I said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, music, <laughs> preaching, sense of community are very important, but they're not what's essential with the Mass. And what is the reason, you know, the second largest group of Christians in the United States? The largest denomination are Catholics, and the second largest group foreign former Catholics who have maybe gone to another church, you know, they say, oh, I really like the mega church or that small church, the preaching is so inspired. I like that praise and worship music, community, the pastor gives a nice hug. They're leaving usually for music, for preaching, for community, but they don't realize who they're leaving. That Jesus is present wherever two or three are gathered, but he's not present there the way he's present in the Catholic Church. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so much so that he says, I want to be one with you. Take and eat. And he comes to us in a way that we can be one with him. You can't get that anywhere else. I don't get anything out of the Mass. What did you want? Jesus is everything, and he's giving himself to you. Plus, every Mass is a memorial. Now, this is a very special word in theology. But what Jesus is doing at Mass is making his greatest act of love present to us. So Pope John Paul put it this way. This was um, in a letter announcing the year of the Eucharist. He said, there's no doubt 
that the most evident dimension of the Eucharist is that it is a meal. Because at the Last Supper, they celebrated the Passover meal. And meal is essential to the Eucharist. Take and eat. Take and drink. But then John Paul says, yeah, it must not be forgotten that the Eucharistic meal also has a profoundly and primarily sacrificial meaning. In the Eucharist, Christ makes present anew the sacrifice offered once for all on Golgotha. In other words, what Jesus is doing is taking what he did on the cross and almost like time travel, you know, he's bringing it right there to us at every celebration of the Mass. So we're standing there as Jesus offers himself to the Father in an unbloody way and then offers himself to us. That's the Mass. The greatest prayer we have. But it's so easy to become passive observers and audience, right? Pope Benedict gave, uh, sent a video message to the Eucharistic Congress that was held in Ireland back in, uh, I believe it was 2012. And he sent the video message and he said, when we talk about active participation, people have kept it on an external level. And what does he mean by that? Well, people think active participation means singing together, responding together, kneeling, standing, sitting together. But he says active participation was really designed to facilitate an encounter with the Lord, that our minds and hearts are engaged in the Eucharist. So we have to be prepared when we go to Mass to be ready for what's happening and to try to follow along. That's why I like the Magnificat book, you know, to follow the prayers, to pray them with the priest celebrating the Mass. Each of us is a celebrant there. We're not an audience. We're celebrating together. And that requires some work on our part. So we have to get beyond kind of a passive audience mentality. But I'll be honest, it's so easy to get distracted and to have your mind wander. In the Eastern churches, Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Catholic churches, um, they have the deacon come out periodically. Now, in our church, the Catholic church, uh, you sometimes have the bells. So before the consecration, they ring the bell saying, hey, everybody, something really important is about to happen. Jesus is making his life-giving death and resurrection present right now. So they ring the bell. In the Eastern Church, the deacon comes out, and he goes like this. Wisdom, be attentive. You know, basically, come on, people. You're starting to space out. It's time to pay attention. <laughs> well, we kind of need to remind ourselves of that from time to time because it's so easy to go on autopilot. And this is true for priests. You know, it's kind of an occupational hazard for us because if we're, especially in a rural diocese, celebrating Mass at different mission parishes and churches, well, we celebrate three or four times maybe on a weekend. And it's so easy to go on autopilot. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Several years ago, when I was at the Sioux Spiritual Center, uh, we were coming to the end of a retreat there. And I won't say who it was, but there was a, a priest who was celebrating, and he was about to impart the final blessing right before dismissing the people at the end of Mass. And these were the days when we still said, and also with you. You know, instead of and with your spirit. So let's role play this. Okay? We're at the end of Mass, and Father is about to give the final blessing. So he says, The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Do you realize what happened? He had slipped back into an earlier part of the Mass before the Holy, Holy, Holy. But 
everyone, he was on autopilot, but everyone else just kind of followed along. That's what we say after I, I have a, a Jesuit friend of mine who, he, he claims he did this once, though I find it a little hard to believe, but he was praying Eucharistic prayer number one, the Roman canon. And you know, uh, before and after the consecration, there's a list of saints, and you go through the long list. So he, he was praying after the consecration. He says, to us also your servants, who those sinners hope in your abundant mercies, graciously grant some share and fellowship with your holy apostles and martyrs. With John the Baptist, Stephen, Matthias, Barnabas, Ignatius, Alexander, Marcellinus, Peter, Felicity, Perpetua, Agatha Christie, Lucy, <laughs> He was so used to saying Agatha and Christie in the same breath that it just came out. He was on autopilot. So it takes effort on our part to not just space out, to not just kind of follow along the prayer, but to really be engaged, mind and heart, in those prayers. It takes an effort on our part. Now, I want to say something, too, um, about having a mass intention. You know, every priest, when he's celebrating mass, has an intention for that mass. Um, Father Marx, if you were there this morning, mentioned he was, his intention was for all the people at this summit. And every priest has uh, an intention on Sunday for the parishioners. But often people will say, could you have a mass for my deceased mother? It's the anniversary of her death. Or could you have a mass, could you celebrate mass for my uncle? He's having surgery this week. So we have these mass intentions, special intentions. I think it's good not just for the priest who you know, has that mass intention, but that all of us, when we go to mass, to have an intention in mind, who we are offering our mass for. I remember when I was growing up on the south side of Milwaukee, we had sisters in the grade school that I went to. This is the 1950s, 60s. And on Sister Mary Martin's name day, we would give her a spiritual bouquet. And we'd list, you know, so many rosaries we were going to pray for her, and, and also masses that we were going to offer for her. And it gave us the idea that, yes, my participation in the Mass is a prayer, and I should have an intention in mind as well. And I think, especially, you know, it, when we lift the host and lift the cup at the consecration, at that point, I always keep in mind the intention for that Mass. And to say, Lord, you are making present your greatest act of love, let that love now touch that person and, and to pray in that way. So it's another way that we can, uh, I suppose, train ourselves to be more conscious in our celebration of the Mass. Now, you know, the Mass has two parts, and I've been focusing on the second part of the Mass, but we also have the Liturgy of the Word. And going deeper in our prayer lives involves, I think, the scriptures. Uh, first of all, preparing for Mass. If you're going to Mass and the first time you're hearing the readings is at that Mass, you're probably not going to hear them. I mean, you'll hear them, but you won't listen. You know, you're, again, it's easy to have your mind somewhere else. So that's why I like the Magnificat, that I read the reading ahead of time. I'm prepared. I've thought a little bit about it. I also, uh, so I recommend, you know, if, if you're going as a family, you know, on the way to, to Mass, maybe in the car, read the Gospel or one of the readings. Or come to Mass early enough that you sit down and, and read the reading so you're ready for it to be proclaimed. I also very much like a little book called One Bread, One Body. It's a little booklet that comes out every two months put out by a group called Presentation Ministries. 
from Cincinnati, Ohio. It was started by Father Al Lauer, a diocesan priest. He died of cancer about eight or nine years ago. And they're, they're just little uh, one-page reflections. Uh, recently, this is, these are the last ones that I'll have because I decided I don't need something more to carry in my travels. So instead, I have them on my phone. <laughs> Every day, early in the morning, I get a message with the daily reading. So you can get an app for that. Um, very helpful. Um, so this will help you pray the scriptures. Praying the scriptures. Somebody might say, well, Father, I've read the gospel. We get it every year, the same gospels. I know what's in there. I know the stories. What's the point of reading the scriptures? Lexio Divina. What's the point of that? And the point is this, that reading the scriptures is unlike any other kind of reading. We don't read the Gospels for entertainment. We don't read the Gospels for information. We know what's in there. But we read them for formation. That our minds and hearts may be formed by Jesus, who is present in the Scriptures. The letter to the Hebrews, chapter 4, says, The Word of God is living and effective. That Jesus is speaking to us through these scriptures. So, Lexio Divina, praying with the scriptures, is another way that we encounter Jesus and go deeper in our prayer lives. And I'd like to share with you something that Pope Benedict uh, said in a letter after the Synod of Bishops in 2008. That Synod of Bishops talked about the place of scripture in the lives of individuals and communities. And afterwards, Pope Benedict issued an apostolic exhortation called Verbum Domini, the word of the Lord. And in there, he described a process of Lectio Divina, five steps. I had heard four of them before, the fifth one I had never heard before. So what are the steps that he gives? One, Lectio, to read the scripture, but not just to read it, but to do a little study, you know, where did this fit into the early church? He said sometimes it's too easy to put our own thoughts into the gospel. First, we have to hear it as the community maybe heard it. So it might involve a little scripture study. I like my St. Joseph Bible here. It's got footnotes and parallel passages and things. So it, I can do a little study with that. Then the next part is meditatio. Meditation, reflection. Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to our community through these words? What do you want me to hear? The third is oratio, prayer. We respond, having listened. Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Then I respond. What do I want to say to the Lord? The fourth, and this I'm not real sure about. He calls it contemplatio, contemplation. Basically, it's a, a less active kind of prayer. It's just sitting with the scriptures, um, being very quiet. The way Pope Benedict puts it is, he says, we want to take on the mind and the heart of Jesus, his values, way of thinking. So those are four steps. What's the fifth step? The one that I never heard of as part of the process of Lexio Divina. Actio. Action. He said the process of Lexio Divina is not complete until it's lived, put into action. The Word became flesh. And the Word, the Scriptures, become flesh through us today, through our lives. So it's going from our prayer and living it then in some way, taking that daily Scripture passage and living it. Now, Another way of approaching the Gospels, the Scriptures, is something that St. Ignatius Loyola talks about in his spiritual exercises. And it's to use your imagination. 
Uh, you might say, well, imagination. I imagine lots of things, and some of them aren't real good. <laughs> yes, our imagination can slip into all kinds of fantasy, but the imagination is a God-given gift. It's through the imagination that artists create beautiful works of art. Through the imagination, inventors create new technology. Through the imagination, scientists and researchers try to overcome diseases. So the imagination is, is a great gift from God that we can use in our prayer. So how does St. Ignatius use the imagination? He says, put yourself in the scene. Imagine yourself as one of the apostles. Jesus says, I'm sending you out two by two. Don't take an extra coat or walking stick. No money bag. How do you react? <laughs> you know, imagine yourself being there when Jesus sends you out. Say, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't sound safe. So how do you react? Let's say you are Peter and you see Jesus walking on the water. I always imagine, remember, some of you are old enough to remember the honeymooners? <laughs> Jackie Gleason. I imagine Peter sitting in the boat seeing Jesus walking on the water going, humming, humming, humming. And Peter says, Jesus, if it's really you, have me get out of the boat and walk toward you. Oh my goodness, what was he thinking? <laughs> but he does it, he gets out of the boat. So you put yourself in Peter's place and imagine getting out of the boat. And then you say, what am I doing here? And you start sinking because you took your eyes off the Lord. So a lot of the Gospels, you can be different characters. In them. And again, the imagination is a God-given gift that helps us to enter into the scene. So we're not just thinking about the Gospel but we're experiencing it as though we were right there. We move from our heads, thinking about something, to our hearts, where we experience it. There's another aspect of the imagination that I want to mention, because I think we can go even deeper. So, let me tell you a little story about when I was in seventh and eighth grade, our Catholic grade school in Milwaukee, once a week, the 7th and 8th graders would go to the nearby public school about a mile away, and the girls went to home economics classes, and the boys went to what was called manual training. It was woodworking, metalworking, things like that. Well, I have to confess, I was not very good at that, and I was not paying attention. I was busy talking to my friends one day, and as I was talking with my friends, I put my hand down, leaning it on a table next to me. I put my hand on a soldering iron. <laughs> as soon as I put my hand down, I knew I had done something wrong. <laughs> now, the reason I tell that story is, you all reacted. Even before I told you what I put my hand on, you were, that's your imagination. You were imagining what I was experiencing. That's empathy. Empathy comes from the imagination where you can kind of appreciate what another person is going through, what they're feeling, what they're thinking. We can do that with Jesus. So let's use our imagination to enter into the heart of Jesus. Now I talk about this in a book. Uh, the Mustard Seed has copies of it. It's called Rediscovering Devotion to the Heart of Jesus, to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, a heart on fire. Because my uh, thesis in that book is, it's not just one devotion among many, and it's not just saying certain prayers or going to Mass on First Friday, but it's entering into the heart of Jesus. And one way we can do that is by using our imagination. And this is not something I came up with on my own, but there's an, uh, a, an actor, I'm sure you've all heard of him, Bruce Marciano, right? You all know who he is? You're right, he never made it big. <laughs> he had bit parts in commercials and sitcoms, and but one day he got his big chance. They were filming the Gospel of Matthew. 
and he was asked to play the part of Jesus. You can imagine him thinking, oh boy, is this ever going to help my career? The leading role? Well then, he was faced with the task of playing Jesus in a convincing way. And you know, if you're an actor or actress, you know, doing this, you, you can't just wear a little wristband, WWJD. <laughs> what would Jesus do here? You have to become the character you're playing. That's the Christian life. Well, he read everything he could get his hands on. They were about to film the first scene, and it was a scene without any words. It was from Matthew chapter 9, where it says Jesus looked out at the crowds, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And his heart was moved with pity for them. How is Bruce Marciano ever going to do this? To convey Jesus' heart moved with pity. So what do you do when you're really desperate? You pray. So he prayed, Lord, let me see what it all looks like through your eyes. And like that, his prayer was answered. And just for a flash, he saw as Jesus would see. And he just shook with sorrow. As he puts it in a book that he wrote, people living lives away from his love and his plans for them, just lost and abandoned. They caught it on film. They didn't have to do a second take. This is what we're called to do, is to enter into the heart of Jesus, to take on his way of seeing people and things, and to let that transform our reactions, our thoughts, our attitudes. So, seeing with the eyes of Jesus, feeling with the heart of Jesus. Now, the feelings of Jesus, it's not just compassion. A lot of things moved Jesus' heart. His heart was moved in different ways. Did Jesus ever get angry? Yes. <laughs> All four Gospels have his heart moved with anger in the temple. You see, anger is not a sin. What we do with anger can be sinful, but anger itself is the appropriate response to injustice, to evil, to wrong, to sin. I mean, when you read the newspaper or watch the news, you should get angry. But that should motivate you to right the wrongs in our world, to pray for the conversion of sinners, as it were, the message of Fatima. So, scriptures invite us to enter more deeply into the heart of Jesus. That we, not, we don't just read about him, but we enter into his way of looking at things. That's a little bit about praying with scripture. Now, when we talk about communication and prayer, we also think about listening. So how do we listen to the Lord? We've said a little bit about that. Sometimes People say, well, do you listen to God? And, no, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> you know, We won't expect to hear voices necessarily or interior locutions. Uh, but what does that mean to listen to God? Well, as we said, when we're reading the scriptures, we ask, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And we then wait for an inspiration, a thought. That's listening to, to the Lord. Um. St. Teresa of Avila talks about meditation and listening to God in a book that I asked the mustard seed to get. I forget the name of the author. I think it's something like Rorsbach. Um, but he wrote this book in the 1950s called Conversation with Christ. And the reason I recommend it is there was a Jesuit novice who was only in the novitiate for three months, and then he left. He's now uh, a good friend of mine, married, big family. Um, and he said, you know, he wished he had had that book because nobody in the novitiate taught him how to pray, how to meditate. And he said that little book, which takes St. Teresa of Avila's uh, approach to meditation, he said that was the most helpful book for him. So they have copies there, Conversation with Christ. St. Ignatius would say one form of prayer is to take 
some of our vocal prayers, like the Our Father, and reflect on the words. What do those words mean? What do they mean to you? So, for example, I mean, the very first word, our. Why do we say our and not my? And you can reflect on that. What does it mean to call God Father? Abba. So reflect on those words. But something that I want to propose to you is something that people, many people would say, oh, that's not prayer. But I think it is prayer. And that's spiritual reading. To have a good spiritual book, an inspiring book. And the reason I say, say this is that's the, if, if we didn't have spiritual reading, there wouldn't be St. Ignatius Loyola, there wouldn't be Jesuits. St. Ignatius, if you know his conversion story, he was hit by a cannonball, laid up in the family castle in Loyola, Spain. This is the 1500s. Printing had just been invented, so they don't have a lot of books. And he asked for something to read. He wanted to read romance stories. Now, not Harlequin and you know paperback <laughs> things, but stories of knights doing brave deeds, going into battle to win the hand of the fair maiden. You know, he wanted to read about that and fantasize that way. Well, they said, "I'm sorry, we don't have that in the castle." He says, "Well, do we have anything?" He said, "Well, we've got the lives of the saints and the life of Christ." And you can see this worldly soldier rolling his eyes. You know, I'm so bored. Okay, lay it on me. Well, he started reading the lives of the saints, St. Dominic, St. Francis, and began thinking, I can do that. He was inspired by their example. And this was the beginning of his conversion. God was speaking to him through the lives of the saints and inspiring him to follow their path. <coughs> Spiritual reading can be a way of listening to God. Another set of books that I encouraged uh, the Muslim <coughs> Seed to have available are uh, the books by Jacques Philippe. Um, they're very tiny books, but I find reading a page or two really helpful and inspiring. And Teresa of Avila herself attests to this. So you have this great Carmelite mystic, and she once wrote in her autobiography that she never began a period of prayer, this was a period of 15 years, where she found herself being very distracted, very dry prayer. She said she never began a period of prayer without having a good spiritual book next to her. And when her mind would wander, or she would feel dryness, she would go to that book. And it would always prime the pump and help her. She would listen to the Lord. So, um, two other books that I, I want to mention in this regard. One is, uh, this is called In Conversation with God. It's a series of daily reflections. And then uh, this book, Divine Intimacy. It's a four-volume set. Uh, Ignatius Press, I think, has put this out. Um, but there are things that I have used in, in my prayer life that I have found very helpful. What about what we might call wordless prayer? You know, just being with the Lord. If you really love someone, you don't have to be chattering all the time. God is not going to chatter at you all the time. And you don't have to chatter at him. You can just be quiet in God's presence. And that's the beauty of adoration. Now, I know in many rural places we, we can't have 24-7 um, Eucharistic adoration, but most rural places the church is somewhat safe and maybe open. You can always adore our Lord present in the tabernacle. Francisco, Saint Francisco Marto, one of the children of Fatima, loved to go to church and he would say, I just want to spend time with the hidden Jesus. Jesus in the tabernacle. So that's a great form of adoration. St. John Vianney says that, 
where they tell the story that once he came, he was coming to church, and every day there was a man sitting there in the church without a book, just sitting there, and he'd ask him, what do you do? I said, what do I do? I look at him, and he looks at me. <laughs> now that's real intimacy. You know, if, if you are so in love, it's enough to just gaze into the eyes of the beloved and not feel embarrassed, I have to look away. And there's a power simply being in the presence of our Lord. Um, you know, when it's when I go, I like to golf. But when I golf, I have to wear a cap. Uh, I'm sure you know why. <laughs> because if I spend an hour in the sun, I will be burned. Well, think of this. If the sun has that much power you know, to radiate and burn and turn my head red, how much more the creator of the sun to spend a half hour in his presence or an hour in his presence and he's radiating his love to you. It's enough just to be there and soak it up. So you don't have to be doing something all the time. We tend to be very pragmatic and think, well, if I'm not getting any insights or thoughts, well, it's a waste of time. Never. Never. Then I want to say something about art and pictures. Um, they can be very helpful in our prayer as well. Um, icons, you know, are, are not just holding pictures of saints, but in the Eastern tradition, icons are called windows to heaven. When we look at a holy icon picture, we're not focusing simply on the picture, but it's like a window. We look through the picture to the person. And this is from my room, one of my favorites. Uh, it's the Vladimir, a Russian Orthodox uh, icon of Mary and Jesus. And uh, what I really love, let me just share this with you. What I love about this painting are the eyes, the eyes of Mary. And, and Jesus' eyes, he's looking at Mary. And when I look at this, I see Mary looking at me. And knowing what's going to happen to her son, and saying, are you going to be part of that? Will you be with those who crucified my son? That's what sin does. It's the reason why Jesus came to take away the sins by dying on the cross. And so, you know, looking at a picture like this and reflecting, what, what does Mary want to say to me? What is she feeling? So, something like this, or let me show you another. Um, I was in a rectory in uh, Leipzig, Ohio, giving a parish mission, and the pastor had this picture there. So, when I got back to Milwaukee, I ordered this uh, through the family Christian bookstore, an evangelical store. And uh, again, for me, the uh, picture speaks to me because of the eyes. So it's a, a picture of Jesus looking right into my heart. And again, in our prayer, to, to use images like this um, can be very helpful in that wordless kind of prayer or a heart-to-heart -heart talk. Now, my Bible, uh, I have a lot of cards and things in here to mark places when I'm giving talks and retreats. But one of the cards I have is um, a picture, a painting of, from Winslow Homer, you know, the American artist. And he has a painting, you won't be able to see this in the back, but it's called Boys in a Pasture. <laughs> and it's two boys sitting next to each other, looking out, and it's obviously a hazy, hot day. And they're just sitting in this field, looking out. Why do I have this in my Bible? Why is this a holy picture? For me, it speaks of the kind of relationship I want to have with Jesus. In John's Gospel, Jesus said, I call you friends. I don't call you slaves, servants, I call you friends. And this, to me, is a picture of friendship. 
So I look at it and I imagine Jesus and me in the pasture. So any kind of art, you know, it might be beautiful art um, of uh, mountains, you know, nature scenes, things like that. It can lift our hearts to, to God. The last thing then, I want to go back to vocal prayer. And just to say that while I mentioned it's good to keep our minds engaged in the words as we say them, um, sometimes we can't do that. I like to say, if you can't do it, what, um, how do, let me think how I put this. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. <laughs> okay? Um, for example, now I, I carry a rosary with me, but I like to pray the rosary in the car. And I don't use this one because it might get hung up on things, but I have a rosary ring, and I'll pray that in the car. Part of that goes back to my high school days when I was on a camping trip with five classmates and a Jesuit priest, and we prayed the rosary in the car. And I got in the habit of doing that, and I believe it was part of my vocation. So my point is this. I try, when I pray the rosary in the car, to remember the mystery that I'm praying and to begin by just having a mental picture of the mystery and praying for different people with regards to that mystery. And um, again, I think that's okay to do. Throughout the day, we might be waiting in Walmart in a line. And just put your hand in your pocket. You have a finger rosary there. Pray a decade of the rosary for the poor cashier who's frazzled with the long line. Um, whatever it might be. During the day, you might be anticipating something that you're dreading. You know, it's going to be a procedure. Maybe you're getting your teeth cleaned. Turn that into a prayer. You know, in the daily offering prayer, we pray, Oh Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you all my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day. So throughout the day, just to be mindful, Lord, I offer this for you, to you, as an act of love for you and for these intentions. So this is where St. John Paul said, our prayer life can fill our whole day, where we go through the day mindful of you know, we're not Carmelite sisters where everything is designed to help us pray, but throughout the day we can remind ourselves in different ways. Um, and that is, I, I think, um, one of the ways to make prayer a part of your life. Um, sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night fretting about something, worried about something, and I take the prayer that Jesus taught St. Faustina. Jesus, I trust in you. And I try to do it with deep breaths, just to quiet down, you know. Those kinds of prayers during the day, too, if you're feeling anxious, Jesus, I trust in you, um, as you're walking. So that's a, a little bit about prayer. Let me just add um, a couple more things about mustard seed. I always encourage people to use your local Catholic bookstore um, because it's an apostolate. You can go to Amazon, but it's a great apostolate, so really support them. But there are two other books that I want to mention there. One is a book that I wrote, a uh, second book on um, daily offering. Uh, so it's a year of daily offerings, 366 days, so it's designed for a leap year. Um, and it's a little reflection on the saint of the day to begin the day, how they offered their day to God, how they offered themselves one day at a time to God. And then at the end of each page and a half reflection is a question at the end of the day. So for example, if the reflection was about a martyr who showed courage, the question at the end of the day might be, how did I show courage today? Or where did I let fear control me? So it's designed to help us be mindful of our day. That's called A Year of Daily Reflections. And then I also want to mention a book called Pray With Me. It was written by Grace Urbanski, 
who used to be the children's director of the Apostleship of Prayer. And it's seven ways of praying with children. Now you might say, you know, all of us are children at heart. Maybe these are ways that you too will find helpful. Jesus said, unless you become like little children, you will not enter. So it's uh, especially if you're a parent with kids, <coughs> grandparent with grandchildren that you're caring for, this might give you some ideas on how to pray with children. So I've gone a little bit over. Um, we have to get ready for Mass. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you.